0: I ask that you go ahead and have a seat this morning, a little different than we normally do because of the length of our passage. <clears throat> uh, Pastor Addison is going to continue in our series in Exodus, and God's Word is given to us this morning from Exodus 15:22 through 17:7. 7. And you did hear that right. It's a good long section here, so um, just enjoy the story a little bit, and I'm just going to take my time with it. So. Listen to God's word. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger then the lord said to moses behold i am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that i may test them whether they will walk in my law or not on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in It will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because of the Lord, Because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The very word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, what we've just heard would not just be an interesting story. Um, We pray that Pastor Addison's preaching, his communication, and the work of your spirit would renew us, Lord. We we acknowledge, Lord, that we are a a grumbling, disobedient people, but you are a merciful, faithful, covenant-keeping God. So reveal yourself to us this morning, I pray. I pray too that we would go away perhaps with a a new sense of obedience and faithfulness out of gratefulness for remembering what you've done for Israel and what you've done for us. We pray these things in your name alone. Amen. Well, good morning. It's
1: good to be with you. It's good to to hear God's word. Also just in such you know chunks sometimes, we just take couple verses here and there every now and then it's good to get larger chunks and to hear the story and so hopefully you enjoyed that Uh, my name is Addison I'm pastor here on staff and uh, I'm working on my nasally voice this morning so if that's what you hear I'm just that's intentional I'm working on the nasally voice Um, if you hear little cracks and coughs and things it's all intentional I promise Um, and it's good to be with you. It's good to be back from a mission trip recently in Jamaica. We'll, we'll talk some more about that as we, we go along, but um, here we are. We're back. All 10 of us made it back, which is good. Um, And we continue uh, in God's word through Exodus, just as Israel is continuing in their journey towards Sinai. That's what we're looking at this summer in our sermon series, To Believe and to Belong. And we're tracking right along with Moses as he leads God's people or as he is led by God to lead God's people to Sinai. And last week, Pastor Andrew looked at how uh, they made it through the Red Sea, how God miraculously parted the seas for them so that they could escape from Pharaoh as he had changed his mind uh, about letting them go and letting them worship in the wilderness, which is what they wanted. They wanted to worship in the wilderness. And so here we come. We're in the wilderness. And what do we get? Grumbling. Grumbling, complaints. They've been delivered but all they can remember is how good it was in Egypt. They've been liberated from slavery. They've been set free. They are now free people. They're Israel, yet they want the meat pots that they sat around in Egypt. They don't remember that God (laughs) promises to be with them, and so they grumble about not having water and food and then water again. They wonder, what are we doing here? Why are we in the wilderness? Why is God doing this to us? And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at why does God have them in the wilderness? And why does he continue to provide for them despite all of their grumbling, all of their, you know, I can just see them. You know, where's the water? Probably not in English, but definitely not in English. You know, but God has delivered them, right? He's delivered them from bondage and oppression to freedom, dignity, sonship. This all is happening through the Exodus. He's done this through a mediator. That's who Moses is. Pastor Andrew mentioned that last week. Moses is the mediator. That's why the Israelites keep coming back to Moses and Aaron and say, where is our stuff? Because they know Moses speaks on behalf of God. And God's called him to do it. And you see Moses being very faithful to that calling. And this deliverance has also created a lasting relationship. You see, now they can be God's people. And that relationship is kindled. He is leading them through. And this is true. All these things are true for us as well. So God, as he is keeping his covenant with Abraham during this time. See, we don't have the Mosaic covenant yet. They're headed there. They're getting there. They're giving them a name and numbers and a process. But he's doing this all through the wilderness. And the wilderness will do things to you. The wilderness will really mess with you. I mentioned in the Friday letter, you know, think more arid, dry desert. Don't think here on Manistee National Park when you think wilderness. We've got some senior high folks camping up in the UP this week. That's not the type of wilderness that Israel was in. They were in a very different wilderness. You see, but they didn't sound like people who had been delivered, do they? They don't sound like people who have been set free from their slavery Instead, they sound like people who are still in bondage, who are still needy. See, but often I don't sound like I've been delivered either. You know, one thing that really irks me is when I'm driving and someone takes that little bit of space in front of my car, and they just kinda like zoom in and get right in front of me. If you knew the thoughts that are going on in my mind, you would wonder if I was delivered from my sin or a slurping of cereal and soup, spaghetti, those things just like get at me. I could give you a list. You can go talk to my wife, Lynette, and bring some popcorn because she'll give you a list of the ways I don't look delivered. But maybe you can resonate with that as well. Maybe you wonder sometimes the way you act. Is this really how I should be acting? Do I really act as someone who's been brought through, who's been delivered, who's been liberated from their sin? You know, as we see Israel responding to their situation in the wilderness, I think you and I can totally track with where they're at. And that's why this passage is so wonderful for us this morning. Because the wilderness does things to you. And we find ourselves in the wilderness at times, don't we? So a quick sort of clarification of what I mean by wilderness, because I'm going to keep referring to this time and time again, how you and I find ourselves in, in seasons of wilderness. You know, think about this place was a harsh place, dry. You know, they're obviously complaining about food and water, so there's not lots of sustenance for them There. This is the agricultural people as well, so they, they really need that stuff. They know how to till the ground, how to find those things, but they're in a place where it's not provided for them. And you and I find ourselves in places like that, probably not so much arid, dry places where there's not lots of food and water. We have that abundantly, but rather we find ourselves in harsh places, places where we don't know what to do or where to look. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe jobs have changed, family members have passed. Maybe there's relational conflict within your marriage or your family or with your kids. Maybe your kids have grown up, and the way that they have grown up has really changed, and you no longer have as much control over them as you think you do. Speaking as a father of a four- and two-year-old, I don't feel like I have any control over them now, let alone in the future. But that's what I mean by wilderness. We all find ourselves in places like that. And I may not have spoken to your specific situation, but I know you can go there in your mind's eye. See that God brings us through times in the wilderness just like he has brought Israel through times in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God wants to teach us something. He wants to teach us like he's teaching Israel how to rely on him how to look to him for our daily needs, how to take our circumstances, our finances, uh, the, the sin that we wrestle with, my anger at drivers, how to take those things back to him and to rely on him for what we need so we're going to look at that this morning in this passage, and we're not going to cover everything. It's a big passage, and we wanted to read it all because there are certain things we won't cover. We're not going to talk about the Sabbath, which is an important thing. We get the Sabbath day before we have the commandments to keep the Sabbath. That's an important thing, but we're not going to cover that today. We're also not going to look at some of the specifics of how God provides the manna and all of the ways that he provides them to be able to collect that and what it is. But we're going to look at how God calls us to himself in the wilderness, how he's done that with Israel. And we can see that he does that. There's three points there, made them pretty succinct for you. Just three words, provision, presence, and purpose. We'll see all three of those things through God as we move through our text this morning. And so let's just go ahead and start and look, provision, You know, God provides for his people when they're in the wilderness. Now, you would have had to have fallen asleep or blinked a bunch of times to miss that through our text. You know, God provides three different occasions for his people in the wilderness, and we're gonna look at each one of them just individually, quickly, and, then, and together as a whole. So you get the water at Marah, right? So the first place that they land after the sea has been parted, they've probably been journeying for about three days. That's what it says in the text. And they come to a place and they have a need. And their need is water. So what do they do? Well, they turn to Moses and they grumble because the water that they have in the place that they find themselves is bitter and they can't drink it. Likely has lots of minerals in it, and it's just not, uh, it's definitely not what they want. From a human perspective, that grumbling is understandable. Have any of you ever gone three days without water? It's probably not a very great feeling And so from a human perspective, wanting water after three days of journeying in a hot, dry place where there's not lots of water around. Remember, they're in an encampment, so they've got animals with them, likely. They've got lots of mouths to give this water to. They've run out. And so grumbling about it is okay from a human perspective. They need water. But Yahweh... God, the God of their fathers, the one who's provided for them so many times before, he's not the one they go to. They go to Moses and they grumble. You will learn in all three of these, I'll just mention it now, it's not the ask that's wrong, it's the attitude. You see, their asking for these things is okay. It's the attitude in which that they do it. That sin creeps in. See, the text says Yahweh is provider and healer, and so what does he do? He provides for them. So at the beginning of our passage in 22, we notice they have nothing, and then at the very end of that, before 1627, they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So where God provided through Moses water for them to drink at that time. He even provided for them in their next stop a place where there was abundant water. But then they find themselves as they continue on in their journey in a place ironically called Sin, which I think is really interesting, where they don't have any food And they grumble about food. Again, the ask is understandable. It's been about a month. They've probably run out of food. Again, they're feeding themselves, their children, and also probably livestock that they've brought with them. And they run out. And so they ask, where's our food? We're hungry. If you have kids, you know exactly what this is like. And it's not enjoyable. But again, it's not the ask that's wrong, it's the attitude. They grumble about it, they complain, they turn to Moses and say, what have you done? Why would God lead us out of Egypt where we had these meat pots that we could sit around and we could eat for days? And this is true, they're not misremembering, they remember correctly, they did have meat pots, but they forgot about their situation in Israel, or in Egypt, excuse me. Israel forgot about what it was like to be in Egypt. And so God, hearing them, answers their prayer and provides them with manna. Now, this is a remarkable provision in that it's not just for this moment that he provides them food, just like it was before with water. He provided water in that moment, but then they'll run out again. But here with the food, God provides for them for the next 40 some odd years. Even past Moses, past this generation of people, God is providing them with the substance they need to fill their bellies and to carry on as his people. As I mentioned in the Friday letter, this goes all the way to Joshua five, where Joshua finally leads Israel into the promised land and they can, after a while, eat vegetation of of the ground. This is a remarkable provision. Think about it, they're provided exactly what they need for each day twice on the sixth day for the Sabbath. That's a double provision. They don't have to do anything on the Sabbath day, but God is providing them with enough food that will not rot, will not stink, and will be good for them in sustenance. And then the next moment, they keep moving on as they are going to Sinai. See, they're not landing in these places. This is not the promised land. God has a bigger picture, a bigger story going on, and he leads them to a place, again, where they're thirsty. Rephidim, they continue on with their journey, and we see in chapter 17, and there's no water. No water for them to drink. In each of these instances, God provided exactly what Israel needed. Water for the moment, and probably to fill their skins. Food for the moment, but for the moment's to come 40 years on every day? While they're in the wilderness, despite their grumbling and complaining, God's provision came to them. Their questions of where they would get food and water, they were good questions. Like we said, that was a good ask, but it was their attitude that was wrong, the doubting that was sinful. This is true for for you and me as well. It's God's people like Israel, God provides what we need. We're, we're very aware of that. We're aware of the way that God time and time again comes through for us. And we probably often ask Him to provide certain things for us, whether it's in a job or relationship, whether it's in our own hearts. Maybe we're seeing the depth of our sin. We're asking God to deliver us from that, to bring us through that. And time and time again, He provides that for us. But I think we forget at times, too. And so when our true needs come up, we go to the wrong places. See, like the Israelites, instead of going straight to the source, straight to Yahweh, we go to ourselves. Or our finances, our situations, our circumstances, our jobs, maybe our identities that we've built for ourselves. You know, one of the ways I saw this a couple weeks ago in Jamaica, I've been many times, and we do this thing called a faith walk, where we walk around this village and led by a Jamaican. His name's Big Man. He's not big. That's just his nickname. They give everyone what they call a pet name. His nickname's Big Man. I have no idea why. He's not a very big guy. But anyways, he leads us through. And this man's a wonderful spiritual leader. He's been a Christian for about four or five years by his own testimony. And God has really gifted him at memorizing scripture. I mean, it's remarkable. You go and talk to people, you mention something, and boom, he just quotes something. And it's not just you know, our favorite coffee cup verses, it's everything. And so he's the right man to lead us through these villages. And we, we go as a group of, of Americans, and led by a big man, and we talk to different people, and ask how we can pray for them. And by and large, it's a great experience. A lot of people that go on it say it's one of their favorite things that they do when they go to Jamaica. But I notice in some of the Jamaicans over the years, a lot of the answers you get when big man asks, What's your biggest need? I think the number one response is a financial breakthrough. Now, I don't want to seem like an uncaring, unsympathetic person, and I totally am, and I understand how money would help a lot of their circumstances and situations. But there is a culture in Jamaica, and I've learned this over time as I've gone, that money equals an out. Like I can get out of whatever I find myself in if I just got a few thousand dollars. And if you ever visit Jamaica, you can see how that doesn't work when you drive by, even on the coast, you look up in the hills, you see half-finished houses and the vegetation has grown up. It's because that person thought that I just got $5,000, I'm gonna start building a big house. But then they ran out of money and they can't complete it. And this is true in the village where we're at, as well as in some of the the wealthier places. And again, I don't want to seem unsympathetic. I do know that there are Jamaicans that take that money and they do things like provide food for their family and buy a manageable house and and get themselves out of debt, pay for medical bills. But they're looking to money to solve every problem. you don't have to go to Jamaica to see that as true we can just look around and know if that that's true in our own lives as well. We look to other things to provide for us what only God can provide for us. See time and time again God provides exactly what Israel needs, exactly what we need. And it's not just he wants us to have these tangible things, but he wants these tangible things to be a sign for us to see where they come from. James, the father of lights, is the one who gives every good gift. It's not the gift that God wants us to enjoy, but himself. He wants us to enjoy himself as the good provider. He wants us to see that he is what we need, not these things, not money, not bread, not water, not an identity, but God, but himself. He says, I am enough. He says it over and over and over again in different ways. Think about Luke 12. You got the rich fool, right? I love that they call him the rich fool right from the beginning. You know this is something for us that our ears should perk up. I need to learn about this man's situation. So like Israel, this man was very short-sighted. He thought that his material possessions would provide him exactly what he needed, comfort pleasure and salvation but you know the mortality rate is one to one for every one person there is one death and those things as job said naked i come naked i will return they don't go with us they don't provide us salvation they don't provide us the ultimate comfort and pleasure see but god does And he promises that provision for us. He promises that he will give himself to us. And he will also meet all our other needs as well when we submit and press into him. Which is exactly the next thing that we learn in Exodus, in this part of Exodus, about God that he's with them, that his presence is there. So he provides for them, and he's with them. And this has been true throughout Exodus. God has always been with his people. Ever since he appeared to Moses and called him in Exodus 2 to lead Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, he has been there all along the way. He appeared to Moses in Exodus 3 in the burning bush. He was giving Moses the commands and, and the way to do this. In Exodus 4, talking with Aaron and Moses, he's helping them understand he's making his presence known, how they're gonna talk with Pharaoh. Even in the plagues, God is making his presence known to the Egyptians and the Israelites. Pastor Andrew talked about last week in chapter 14, you see the angel of the Lord, again, God's presence. He's coming in to be their deliverer, to be their leader. And don't forget about the pillar of smoke by day and fire by night that is with them constantly as they go to Sinai. God is with his people before the wilderness and during. But but we learn a special, there's a really, I think, unique uh, occurrence of God's presence in chapter 16. Did you catch it when we were reading We can start at chapter 16, verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, so you think Aaron's speaking to the congregation, they're looking at Aaron, and then all of a sudden it says what? They looked toward the wilderness, so their eye was turned they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. His presence is made known in a spectacular way to Israel to remind them amidst their grumbling to remind them amidst the the neediness of who they are that he is there with them that he will not leave them nor forsake them that he will walk with them he will lead them to sinai so we think about uh, our times in the wilderness we have to remember that God is with us. He is promised, just like he promised to Israel, just like he made himself known to them, he makes himself known to us as well. You see, we have a powerful deliverer. He never leaves our side. And he reassures us of that. I was trying to think of the best way to illustrate this point. I think there's a lot of good ways, but I was thinking of, uh, you know, Before GPS, so some of us that's like completely out of the realm of thought. Before MapQuest, before all those things, you're trying to get somewhere, right? Say you're trying to go from Chicago to Traverse City just to make a long journey, right? And you stop at a gas station and you ask the gas attendant, hey man, can you help me figure out how to get to Traverse City? And this guy knows exactly where you're going. He says, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to leave the gas station, get on the highway, take a left and go for like, you know, 30 or 40 miles. And then you're going to take another left and you're going to go north for a long, long time. But there's going to be a point when you need to go left again and you're going to to go left. And then once you go left, you're going to go right, and you're going to go north for just a little bit further, and you're going to make your way to Traverse City. Got it? You're not going to feel very confident, are you? I mean, this guy knows where you're going. He knows the turns you need to make. You know what makes you feel really confident is if he said instead, yes, I know where you're going. Make room. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to take you there. I'll show you how to get to Traverse City instead of Tell you how to get to Traverse City. See, that's what it's like for you and me to have a God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you all the way. As you walk in this life, as you're working out your faith and fear and trembling, as you're working out your salvation, I am there with you, and I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be with you no matter what happens in the high moments and in those moments where you find yourself in the wilderness like Israel I tell you what that changes things that changes things when the god who has made everything is the sustainer of everything holds all things together says i'll be with you that changes everything think about john 15 one of my favorite chapters in the bible when jesus is talking to his disciples he said abide with me and i with you Abide, rest in, be with, hold on to me in everything that you do, and I'll be with you. I will abide in you. The scriptures talk about how Jesus, the Holy Spirit, abide in us and are with us. We've got language in Romans uh, chapter 8, which we'll take a deeper look at in our next sermon series. Just a little plug there. It talks about how the Spirit's in us that though we are dead, we're now alive because the Spirit is with us, because God promises to be present with us. Something amazing happens when that presence is made. It flips. It changes who we are. You know, instead of isolating or drawing back, instead of just being consumed with ourselves, Christ in us allows us to live a life for and with other people. It allows us to be a good neighbor even when that neighbor is a very difficult neighbor. Someone that's hard to work with to live next to. Because we remember that God once counted us as enemies but now we're not. He's brought us from darkness to light. We've been shifted from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He loved us even when we were like enemies to him. So therefore now Christ in us allows us to love those that seem like enemies to us. It allows us to be good husbands, to be good spouses, so wives as well, because we can love our spouses, putting their needs before ours like Christ put our needs before his dying on the cross for us. We can consider them equal as opposed to jockeying for position, I'm right, you're wrong, sort of living See, the gospel in us, Christ in us, changes the way that we view people, helps us to be better employees and even better bosses because we realize that it's, it's not our work that defines us. It's not our, our work that we're trying to, to do better at, to, to earn our own salvation, but rather we're free to glorify God through our work. There's lots of ways to do that. There's lots of ways to glorify God through your work see Jesus in us when he's called us to himself he's equipped us to be better husbands wives neighbors employees friends because we've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of lights language from Ephesians 1 we can pursue relationships in the way they're meant to be pursued because we have God's presence with us. So in the wilderness, we see that God promises to provide for us. He promises to be with us like he did in Israel. And the last point as we look to wrap this up is the purpose. So God has a purpose for the wilderness. Pastor Andrew alluded to this last week. You know, he didn't have to take them through the wilderness. They didn't have to go this way. This wasn't really the quickest way to get where they were going, but it was the right way. It was the right way to get Israel where they needed to be. And so often we find ourselves asking the question in times of wilderness, wandering, why? Why am I here? What is the purpose of this? Why take me this direction? Why not give me the short direction? Why bring us through these times? I know I ask that question at times. I'm sure you have asked that question at different times in your own life as well. You know, haven't we been delivered? Hasn't liberation happened? We've been set free. Why am I being dragged over the coals at times? Well, we see that God provides answers for us in the text. We have Exodus 15, verse 25, the second half of it. You know there the Lord made for them a statute and rule, and there He tested them. See so God was testing Israel. He was testing them with their need of water. He was testing them with their need of food. He was testing them with their need of water again. The wilderness was a test for them. What was the test? the test, like I alluded to earlier, was will Israel, will God's chosen people look to Him for their needs or will they look elsewhere? See, God is guiding them and He knows that you can take the Israelites out of Egypt, but it's going to take a while before you can take Egypt out of the Israelites. You see, they wanted to go back. Exodus 16, verse 3 And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Back when we were slaves, back when we were making bricks for Pharaoh, back when we were just doing everything under Pharaoh's rule, when we sat around those meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. And this isn't the last time you'll hear something like that from Israel. Chapter 17, verse 3 again. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? you Remember that great place that we lived before? It was amazing. Why did you bring us out of there to kill us and all our children and our livestock with thirst? You see, they still had a bit of their slavery in them. They still had a bit of Egypt in them, and God knew it was going to take a long time to pull that out of them because He wants them to rely on Him. He wants them to rely on who He is. See, because Israel's forgotten, or maybe they just haven't woken up to the fact that Yahweh is the one leading them but he gives his purpose. It's not just me. I'm not the one just saying this is why he's doing it. It's right there. Chapter 16, verse 12. So they are grumbling about food. God appears to them. He provides. He says, I'm going to provide food for you. And here is why I'm doing this. So at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Then, not as if they should have known that before, and they're going to take another 40 years to really realize that this is the Lord their God. And why does he say this? Well, you've got to read Deuteronomy to get a, 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 greater, a grander picture of this time of Israel. You know, Moses writes sort of like a commentary, filling in some of the details for us in Deuteronomy, the book right before uh, Joshua going into the, the promised land. Um, I think I might have had that wrong. I think there's another, but no Deuteronomy. I They got 31 right. Joshua, Joshua 5. Deuteronomy 8:3. Sorry, just a little bit of nerd thinking out loud. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's not the first or last time that they hear this again. Deuteronomy 8 verse 16 God fed you in the wilderness with manna and your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So as they're sitting there in Deuteronomy wondering, why are we not entering the promised land? It's because God is testing them. He's bringing them closer to Himself. You see, in Christ, friends, we've been given that identity. The identity as delivered people, liberated from our sin, close to Him. We have God in us as Christians. The Spirit dwells within us. but We won't always look that way, just like Israel. You see, you can take the fleshy nature out of the man, as Paul says, but you can't take the fleshy nature out of... Wait, you can take the man out of the fleshy nature. I'm going to get backwards here. We've been delivered. We've been taken out of our sin, but sin still dwells in us. And God brings us to these places to turn us back to Him. So a pastor down in Nashville wrote a book recently called Irresistible Faith, Scott Sauls, and he puts it really great. Ironically, the more like Jesus we actually become, so as we work out our sanctification, as we grow and age, and we become more and more like Jesus, the less like Jesus we actually feel. See, because we see our sin more, we see our need for Christ more, and that's intentional. It's to draw us back to him See, that's God's good purpose for you and me. That's why we cling to the cross. There's another pastor in, in L.A., rankin Wilborn observes that God does not love us to the degree that we are like Christ, but that we're in Christ. And that's always 100%. Friends, as you think about your situations, as you think about where God has you, just remember, yes, God will provide for you. He's with you. He wants to draw you closer and closer to Him. Because that's actually what we need more than anything else, is a deeper walk with Christ. It's to rely on Him more than anything because He can handle it. And we can't. So will you rely and rest on Jesus when you're in or when you're not in the wilderness? Will you rely on Him and rest in Him in everything that you do, remembering that God promises His good provision for you, His presence, and His purpose for your life? Let's pray. Father, as we end and think about the way You work in our lives, we understand that You're at work in our lives that your scriptures reveal to us that, that you do not leave us, that you don't just send us out on our own to sort of manage this world because we would manage it wrongly, but rather that you come into our lives and, and through a great act of love and mercy and grace and the gospel, you promised to deliver us and to continue to deliver us as you brought Israel through the the wilderness to help them see their great need of you, you do the same for us in our own lives. So as we think about our own individual situations, even our corporate situation as Christ church, Lord, we ask you would draw us closer and closer to you. That in everything we do, it would be to your glory. It would be to your glory goodness it would be so that we could fulfill our purposes as your called people here which is to glorify you and enjoy you forever lord we pray these things and much much more in christ's name amen